Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This week, we're telling part two of the story of Swiss Air Flight 111. Thanks for listening. Cool. We did it. We did it. All right. Yes. Um, welcome back, Mariah. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for having me. Today... Uh, we are talking about the, this is part two of the story of Swiss Air 111 or 111. And uh, if you, I, I don't know who would possibly fall into this group, but if you didn't listen to our last episode and you are listening to this one, that's fine. But welcome. Maybe, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> so nice to have you. But maybe uh, head back and listen to that one first. So, or I mean... This is like a more well-known story, so I guess it's possible that you're like, no, no, I know what happened. I just want to hear this part. So yeah. Either way, welcome. Um, uh, yeah, so last, I wrote down like a list of things that I wanted to cover here today, and I know I mentioned this last week, but I'm going to say it again here, talking about the investigation, the recovery effort, everything that went in to closing the book on this story. Yeah. This is going to involve talking about the recovery of human remains mm. and um, in much more detail than any of our stories would normally go into. Okay. Not insane detail, but yeah. um, the dozens of people who poured months and months of their lives into that process just i think we got to talk about it yeah it's a it's part of the story so um but if that isn't something that you want to hear about um this might not be the episode for you mm. and we have so many other episodes that you yeah. can listen to instead just skip so. to the end and hear the fact oh yes do do skip ahead it's an important fact. one yeah today yes <laughs> Excellent. So um, Swiss Air 111, after experiencing a fire in the cockpit, um, crashed into the water off the coast, uh, close to Halifax in Canada, hit the water at 350 Gs of force. So just an incomprehensible amount of force when it hit the water. and It hit the water. Halifax would be the largest city nearby, but the the town, I guess, that was directly north uh, of the crash site in the ocean was a little place called Peggy's Cove. And so a lot of the uh, recovery efforts, the people who went into, who dedicated this, you know, huge amount of time, this, in some cases, years of their lives, uh, their base was Peggy's Cove, this little town um, that by all accounts is very lovely. And uh, when the plane hit the water, it shattered into two million pieces, more than two million pieces, just That's totally. So it's it's uh, the plane was an MD-11. Um, those are a nice sized plane, but it's not two million pieces. It's incomprehensible yeah. how incredibly tiny Almost all of the pieces were. For reference, one of the ways I heard it described, 
the plane was going so fast and hit the water so hard that it hit nose first and the tail met the nose of the plane within a quarter of a second. So everyone who was on board um, was killed instantly. There were 229 people on board and all of them were, were instantly killed and the plane just shattered, in, just completely shattered. About nine minutes after the plane crashed, the air traffic controller who had been talking with them until a few minutes earlier had already, you know, he, as soon as they declared an emergency, he had had emergency crews ready. Um, Local hospitals were made aware and had started to, you know, call doctors and nurses who are at home in bed, asking them to come in. Uh, just all of the efforts that go into trying to be ready to help people if the plane had been able to make it really to anywhere on land. But within nine minutes of the plane hitting the water, they had already dispatched around uh, 29 ambulances to rush to that area and like a Mercy Flight helicopter. So that was at around um, 10 p.m. And all of these people, so there's, there's nurses and doctors rolling out of bed and rushing to the hospital. There's, there's EMTs and, and helicopter pilots and all of these people trying to, to get as close to the site as they could, which sadly isn't that close. The, the plane crashed about five miles off the coast of uh, Peggy's Cove. So all of these people jump into action. For people who can actually go out to the site in the water at 10 p.m. in an, a, frankly, pretty rural area in September in Canada, right? So it's freezing. They, uh, the Joint Rescue Coordination Center in Halifax, that's the, the group. My, I, don't, I can't pretend to know a ton about it, but my yeah. understanding is that they have the ability to um, collect like different military forces. So like the maritime forces, the air forces, the, um, the coast guard, guard forces and, and coordinate the joint forces. So collect them all and, and so that they can work together to use all of their resources to hopefully help people. That's their goal. That's the first priority. They don't know that it's in 2 million pieces. They don't know. Yeah. So the first people to actually arrive at the crash site in the water were fishermen. Peggy's Cove is a fishing community, yeah. and the first people, now, fisher, they are fishermen. They were also, the reason they were aware of it and the reason they were sent there was because they were volunteers with the Canadian Coast Guard, part of their auxiliary forces. But they were fishermen in the boats they used to fish, and they headed out there looking to see if they could help anybody. And as soon as they got there, they knew, like, gosh, there's, there's nothing to be done for anybody who was on yeah. that plane. And I can't, again, I just, I think about by the time they got to the water, uh, got to this site in the water, it was, you know, getting closer and closer to midnight. And I think about 
just even small things. It was a Wednesday and fishermen, you know, work some of the toughest hours I can even imagine. And this is like one of, I know it's a small thing, but you're waking up in the middle of the night to do something, to witness something horrific, right? And just, you know, heading out there. So by 3.30 in the morning, the officials finally sent the ambulances home and sent the helicopter pilot home and told all the doctors and nurses at the hospital who had come in, like, head home. There's just nothing we're going to be able to do for any of these people. And I, that, like, it's, yeah. it just ties my stomach in knots to imagine, like, the anticipation, you know what I mean? Especially if you are, like, a, a, a healthcare professional who is... It's not even your, you know, it's not your shift. And you find out a plane, a huge plane, a plane with 229 people has crashed. And you've, like, rushed there in that, like, anticipation. And then nothing happens. Nobody arrives. Yeah. But the, um, in the morning, as more and more of those, like, military forces were assembled to be able to head out and start to just collect everything everyone by this time realized that they weren't going to be able to help anybody survive but the the collection of the plane parts and the collection of of the people to get their bodies back to the people who love mm-hmm. them that started more in earnest in the morning the this is where I'm just going to be honest, it gets graphic. So the plane broke into two million pieces and the same thing happened to the people on board the plane. Gosh. So when they went out there, most of the most of everything had sunk to the bottom of the sea. Thankfully, in this area, it's not incredibly deep. It's about 180 feet deep. So but still deep. Right. It's it's. Um, but everything had sunk down, but anything that was floating on top, it would be like little bits of a plane and then different parts of of people, different pieces of people. They set up a big like uh, aircraft hangar, actually. So these big, big, spacious areas where everyone who was um, going to be able going to play some role in the process of figuring out what happened, figuring out what we're going to do about it, figuring out how to get people's loved ones back to them. That process was so incredibly massive. There were more than 350 people just dealing with stuff that was retrieved from the ocean. So to say nothing of all of the people doing the work of retrieving everything from the sea, Mm -hmm. like there were hundreds of people with different jobs trying to figure out what's what and what where does it go so this was in 1998 so they did have access to like dna technology it was obviously more rudimentary than it is now but they did have that thankfully to try to identify what they could <sighs> around 7:30 in the morning Local time in Zurich, uh, Krishka, Orr's, uh, the Captain Orr's wife, um, gets woken up by her daughter 
and her daughter says like like papa's been in an accident and her mom like tried to say like no there's like you know there's tons of flights like like don't worry honey and her daughter was like no mom i checked his schedule and like it's his flight and she confirmed it on the news she didn't like she knew about it from the news before she knew about it from the airline um the news that was the truth sadly for the vast majority of loved ones in this case the vast majority of people who knew someone on that plane found out not from the airline or from their local government but from the news in uh, jfk so swiss air was a code share with delta and the flight had taken off from jfk so in new york uh they set up a uh uh, center right at the airport and they they flew pe- family members in to new york uh and from you know all around the world wherever they were from so that they could get the most up-to-date information so after that initial like 12-hour period where people sadly found out from the news that their loved ones had been killed they did try to scramble and some people wanted to fly to Halifax and they sent them to Halifax. Some people just took the ticket that had been offered them and went to New York and uh, gathered together. And I don't know a lot about this and I can't pretend to, but I just think about like all of these family members from around the world. They were all staying at the same hotel. They had them all stay at the Ramada at JFK. Yeah. And I just think about how, like, you think about on a plane how many different people there are, right? And just the family members are going to be an even more, like, wide and diverse group of people. I don't know. I don't know what a strange experience it would be. Right, yeah. Or a horrible experience. But Investigating... Whatever was retrieved from the ocean were many, many, many different investigative groups. So the TSB, uh, which is the Canadian version of the NTSB, the NTSB, uh, because the U.S. is just gets in on everything, it seems like, yeah. the FAA... Uh, Boeing, because Boeing had bought McDonnell Douglas by this time. The RCMP, which uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. So I know that maybe some of you picture like Dudley Do Right or whatever, like kind of like folksy, silly versions of cops, but the RCMP is basically Canada's FBI or whatever. So yeah. RCMP, Swiss Air, uh, Pratt and Whitney, the folks who made the engines for McDonnell Douglas, and the Airline Pilots Association, because your union is there to back you up. Amen. Um, yes. Amen. And so, like, there were really, again, just so many different people, and all of them have a different thing that they're looking for, or like a different um, bent to their like perspective their skill set their um goals what they what they look for what they know how to do what they can find 
but there's just all of these like overlapping groups all trying to figure this out. All they knew at the time was that there had been a fire in the cockpit and they knew from the um from the air traffic controller from the recording of that conversation they knew that it had started as smoke and then it had gotten worse and then the plane had crashed so they there's very 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 little that they're starting off with the RCMP is there to see if there's anything criminal but they're also there because the RCMP did um a lot a lot of the work around identifying people's bodies and getting them back to their loved ones. They also did a lot of the work of going through all of the personal effects. So anything that people had on their body, but also anything that they had in like the, just the luggage, right? So their RCMP is doing that. And then most of the other groups are focused on trying to figure out what to do, what happened to the plane, how did Mm -hmm. this happen? So as they scoop whatever they can off the top of the ocean, as they walk along the shore and collect whatever they can that might have washed up, they also send divers down to collect, to, to see what they can see and to collect whatever they can collect off the bottom of the ocean. It's obviously limited what divers can collect, but when the divers get down there and they see that like, oh my gosh, it's just, it's, it's endless. It's endless, the amount of stuff. And the people's, the parts of people and the parts of the plane are just like inextricably mixed up together. So they made a decision that they were going to prioritize collecting human remains above all They're colle- and, and finding the black box. They, those are the two first priorities because the human remains just will not last forever. And the black box is what we need to get really the investigation started. Um, they also, I know I was saying, oh, the personal effects that they were also collecting, um, they're looking for anything that might have been dangerous in some way, obviously, but mostly it's about trying to get those personal effects, if possible, back to the family members. Yeah. God, what a tedious task to just like, I can't. Uh, yeah, like. No. No. And I, this is very graphic, but it's like an example. Um, yeah. They, in order to identify people, they were um, using dental records, DNA, fingerprints, and in some cases, x rays. Like if somebody had maybe something very distinct, uh, like a Bone that had been broken at some time, or something like that. Yeah, a rod or something. There were more than a thousand fingers recovered, like just finger. Yeah. Um, there were there was an example that I saw one RCMP colonel um used that there was a body bag. So when 
when I mean this job sounds like maybe one of the one of the most difficult jobs in a list of incredibly difficult jobs but the people the like naval officers who are out in the ships collecting stuff having like bringing stuff up and then separating human remains from pieces of the plane or like anything from the ocean and personal effects which personal effects I think for some people would be one of the most difficult parts because like personal effects you're finding like I don't know like you're finding like books or pictures or cameras or clothing or like all of that stuff that the body parts don't necessarily like may or may not look like people but like they the personal effects are like they're human things like the humanity of the people I don't know but the so on the ship they would separate and they would put the human remains into body bags but it's not like in a normal situation where you're putting one body into a body bag so they would um have the, an example that an RCMP colonel um used was there was a they got a bag they would bring it by helicopter back and forth from the ships to the hangar where they were going through everything and testing and separating And the bag weighed, like, 80 pounds, and there were 26 different, like, remains from 26 different people inside the bag. So it's just... Yeah. And I know this is, like, exponentially more graphic than we would normally talk about, and I don't want to be disturbing, and I don't want to be crass, and I don't want to be just... It's not the goal. I just think that... No, it's important detail, I mean, to understand fully, like what the impact of that crash was like it's you know we don't we don't hear a lot of that that often like that is a huge that is a huge thing like 80 pounds and 26 different like people you know like it's just yeah horrific it's horrific what people the people went through but they were determined to return whatever And here's the thing. I know that for some people, we've talked about this before, but for some people, like, don't return their, like, don't return it to me. Like, they, they were buried at sea. Like, some people, that's not important. But it's so important to some people. Right. And it's so important and meaningful. And this massive, massive sacrifice, this huge amount of effort and work that people are doing to make sure that people who desire to have something of their loved one back they they identified some remains for every single solitary passenger wow that is incredibly yeah. rare incredibly rare they identified something from every single person on friday so two days after the crash or really like 36 hours after the crash they actually found one person i don't know who it was and i don't think it's ever been made public and that's fine but they identified one person who was almost intact and i don't know how that happened yeah i have no idea but there was one person who was like recognizable like they their body was was 
intact, mm-hmm. but everybody else, they just did what they could. Yeah. And it's just this, it's just unbelievable, unbelievable, right. the amount of work that went into it and how nauseating, how there's nobody, there aren't the, the people who are doing that. I don't know. I don't know. Did they, I just don't want to not talk about it. Please. Right. I was going to say, do we know, and maybe this is like not the right question, but it's, did they like ask who wanted to be, who wanted their family members to be like searched for, or did they just, they just like recovered everything and then like, what do they do they with just, that stuff after? They returned it to the family members. I don't know like, what form, I don't know if they put whatever there was into just into a casket into like a regular size casket or coffin and just returned it to them that way yeah i don't know that but that's kind of what i gotcha okay my guess is i don't know but they didn't they just they did for every single person yeah they recovered whatever they possibly could and they returned it to them and yeah i like i guess i've never really thought about that whole process of what happens afterwards like how they return it what is the like protocol for returning stuff? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, obviously, like they're not handing them a garbage bag of their right, like family members' belongings. But right, I just have never really thought about it on how they return all that stuff. I would imagine they, there's like a procedure and like a nice, you know, like sorry for your loss type of situation. I I I imagine that. They facilitated like whatever the process was for repatriation of remains. Like, yeah. So if you die in another country, you can actually get special insurance. Sometimes there are some forms of insurance that automatically cover it. So you may or may not already have this, but travel insurance usually covers it where if you die in another country, your remains will be repatriated, right. uh, meaning brought back to your country. Only four of the people on the plane were Canadian. Almost everybody on board, most people were American or Swiss, and then people different, you know, from different countries, like a yeah. scattering from other countries. So there's that process, whatever that looks like. So, like, whatever the requirements or the process is in each country. And then in the U.S., I know usually to you kind of if you want the body of your loved one, usually you have to give the address for a funeral home. You don't or usually that's how it's set up. Like you say, like when people who I in my family have died, nobody even asks if you like, do you want to take them home or like what do you you know right, like they right. ask for the they ask they will um have the funeral home come and collect um the body and uh check your rights right because that's a whole other conversation mm-hmm. but yeah in most in most places you are actually entitled to be able to like have a wake in your home and things like that but um nobody it's not necessarily the norm in in a lot of places so blah 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 but i i imagine 
it seems like the nicest way off the top of my head would be to just put whatever you find into a normal sized casket and just seal it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But but um the personal effects um family members could if they wanted to travel to Halifax on I guess Swiss Air's dime and um like look at the effects that were found like the different things that were retrieved to be able to take them home um but that process of trying to get whatever was possible to get back to the family members and loved ones was strenuous huge effort yeah and in that process where their goals were to a identify remains and b find the black box in that process they did find the black box so the flight data recorder and the um cvr and the cockpit voice recorder and so when they found that Unfortunately, as we know, or as we talked about last week, uh, the fire ate through the recording devices six minutes before the plane actually crashed and uh, most of the recording devices. So sadly, as we talked about already, there's less information than they had hoped for, um, but it gave them a more in-depth more data about like when the pilots noticed things and what they talked about. Mm-hmm. And in that process, they, as we spoke about last week, the, they're going through checklists. They were like working very hard to, to figure this out and try to land as quickly as right. possible. And um, it, there was some hay made at the time of this idea that they they disagreed about whether or not to land immediately um, or dump fuel. And I, I guess you can have a different opinion about it, but I think that they were both, they both wanted to land as quickly as possible and they were trying to figure out what was the safest way of doing that. Yeah. And whether it was safer to, you know, dump fuel first or not, like they were, they were, taking it incredibly seriously. They weren't lollygagging or acting like it was no big deal. So with the CVR uh, found and the remains of, of every single, some remains of every single person on board located, they, it's starting to get too cold, like too cold for divers to be in the water, right? Obviously, like fishermen yeah. fish, you know, in the winter and stuff like that. It's not like you can't be outside in late September, but in Halifax. But but having divers go in the water is getting like more and more dangerous. So the uh, Navy, U.S. Navy, um, sent over some um, remote operated little submarines, those little guys, and used that to guide them as they were trying to use more machinery to try to like trawl the bottom of the ocean and collect whatever they could. And they're, they basically set up a puzzle, like a giant uh, frame in the you know, huge airport hang- or airplane hangar where they were working, yeah. and started to like 
reconstruct the aircraft with these millions and millions of pieces, like the most, you know, huge, horrific puzzle possible. And so they're, they are going through and literally taking a piece, inspecting it, looking to see if does this piece like have burn marks on it? What kind of damage does it look like it has? Like what's, you know, and then placing it where it goes on the plane. Mm. The uh, engines and the landing gear were essentially the only big pieces of that were recovered. Everything else was like a tiny little fragment. So they are going through this meticulously going down they collected wires they had like they knew there was a fire and wires are one of the things that can cause a fire they had 15 no 155 miles 155 miles of wiring oh my God. was collected 155 miles oh my I mean, that's Buffalo to Syracuse. Yeah, it's it's oh my a God. billion kilometers. Like it's <laughs> I don't know. Like it's just this unfathomable. Uh, it, it just it's insane. Yeah, they had to go through and inspect miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles of wiring okay. and look for any sign of arcing, any sign of of anything try to figure out where the fire started what could have started it and they don't find anything they inspect miles and miles of wiring and the wiring that they've collected a few months after the crash doesn't have they don't find it they're not finding the cause of the crash they just like so they're relentlessly trying to figure this out they as they search they still haven't found anything and so they needed they knew that there had to be something down there there had to be like more stuff that they hadn't collected so they had to pump they like pumped seawater down like to push into the bottom of the sea and like push up all of anything that was left over mm. so they are if that makes sense mm-hmm. uh like if you're i don't know i can't I, there's nothing to compare yeah, it to i have like, no yeah. comparison but they do this like different very intensive process and pull up a million more pieces oh of the plane God. so they had a million we're trying to put everything together inspecting miles and miles of wiring and then had to collect a million more pieces that were so tiny that they weren't found before and in those pieces in those more miles of wiring they find sign of electrical arcing they find a place where a wire appears to have arced in a way that could have ignited a fire. Wow. And it's on that stupid entertainment system wiring. Oh, my God. That was added to the plane (gasps) that year. 
a few months earlier. And they find that the entertainment system, like we talked about last week, when the pilots turned off the um, power to the cabin, they thought that it turned off the power to the cabin. But when they had added the screens, the entertainment system, to the first class and business class, they had, for whatever reason, hardwired it to like the cockpit to like the actual like vital systems of the airplane Mm. and hadn't wired it in with the cabin electricity that's that's not um, necessary to fly the plane so it was just on all the time and it looked like it had arced and overheated and started to smolder so now the question is what was it next to because everything on a plane is supposed to be fire retardant like it's supposed to be the materials that are used to create a plane are are held to standards where they're not supposed to be able to propagate fire so like I don't uh, cigarettes, right? That's like a uh, an example that people know about. Cigarettes are not supposed to be able to. They're supposed to go out on their right. own, right? Um, and they look at the plane. They look at all of their pieces. So, what was this wire next to that it could actually turn into a fire instead of just arcing and then going out? And it's next to this acoustic insulation like Mm. insulation that that is supposed to help deal with just the infernal noise of an aircraft you know the engines the three engines on this plane and they they looked at the tests and it passed all of the tests Mm. like this acoustic like not paneling but um insulation did pass the tests that it was that it went through But when they now, okay, well, let's test it ourselves and see if it, uh, like, if this is possible for this to ignite and then burn so hotly and continue to, like, spread. And it did. It did. It was, like, less flammable than, like, I don't know, cotton or whatever. But, yeah, it, it was possible. So they find this and... They, it seems like they've got their answer and it sucks because it's so stupid. Right. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. Swissair immediately like deactivated, disconnected, whatever the right word is, all of the entertainment systems on all their planes. Other airlines followed suit, but the bigger problem of this insulation, right? Like Swiss Air started the process of removing it, but the different countries dealt with it differently because that that kind of insulation was used in like two thirds of planes at the time. That were like it just it's a very common thing because again, if for whatever reason, it did pass. The tests it was initially put through, the FAA had like a five or not five year. They said that it had to be removed from all planes by 2005. Different countries had different timelines. 
But so again, there were a lot of different people looking at this, right? Different people with different perspectives, different uh, expertise, right? So another thing that people were looking at is like, hey, can we talk about those checklists? Can we talk about the checklists? They looked at the checklists. So the two checklists that, it was more than two, but the two in particular that um, Urs was the captain was going through while um, they were going, while they were experiencing this fire, um, the smoke in the air conditioning and the smoke or odor of unknown origin checklists. They looked at those checklists and those checklists, A, don't say like anywhere at the beginning, like start to head toward the airport or try to, you know, immediately like begin the process of trying to get down as quickly as possible. They don't say until like the end, like if you get to the end of this checklist and you still don't know where it is, then land. The checklist that Urs was working on, the last one he was working on before he got up to fight the fire, takes like half an hour to complete the checklist. Jeez. It's it's incredibly like long and tedious. And this isn't villainy, right? Like everything that I was no, telling you yeah. to do was to try to help you isolate the problem. But the fire from smelling smoke to crashing was less than half an hour. So this checklist might need some tweaking. If you're telling people to go through this long, long process right. before they before you tell them to land and it, like that's just it's it's an oversight or like it's a failure to think through what it looks like in a real world scenario. Right. right? You're writing down all of the things like some whoever made the checklist again, not a bad guy, not a bad person, just somebody who's like thinking about all of the potential things that could be causing this and let's systematize it. Let's yeah. make sure that they they check all of these things. But if you're on fire, yeah, there's not enough that's, time. Figuring out why there's a fire is less important than trying to get onto the ground. Right. And so they had to definitely cheek tweak the checklists but as part of the investigation i know i mentioned it last week but they concluded that even if they had immediately immediately focused on getting down into halifax landing at the airport as soon as they smelled smoke they were never going to make it it was the fire spread too quickly yeah too burned too hot it destroyed too many systems because again it's in the cockpit it's in it was between like in the wall of the plane and so they this massive massive investigation effort did finally yield this one wire where they can see an arc in a system that was just added and it was next to this insulation that does in fact propagate and spread fire. Jeez. All of that said, in the end, 
the safety changes that were made, like I said, they the insulation, there was a timeline. You have until 2005 to remove this insulation. The entertainment system, the way that that's wired, was fixed because that's just a dumb way to... What are you doing? Right. It's not a man... It's not like a a vital airport or airplane system um the standards for how flammable a piece of a plane can be were just generally improved yeah um the checklists were were um improved uh swiss air so again we talked about it at the beginning of of last week's episode but swiss air was known for having some of the best standards in aviation and they started this process of adding like adding a bunch more smoke detectors to the plane because again a smoke alarm never went off their noses told them that there was smoke you know what i mean so they started adding way more smoke detectors they started um adding little something that we've talked about before like little cameras in different places on the plane that can't be seen by people to uh like just give you more eyes help you see into places because obviously again there was nothing the pilots could have done but at least they would have known if you had a camera that you could check that showed you that there's a fire on board instead of just some weird smell um, but sadly, this was in 1998, and the this investigation took years. And you all know it's coming in a couple of years. If it's 1998, it's 9/11, and yeah. Swiss Air did not survive. Swiss Air, the airline as it existed then, does not exist anymore. They declared bankruptcy in 2002. Obviously, 9/11 kicked aviation right in the teeth and uh, along with obviously a lot of other impacts but um so swiss air yeah they didn't make it as an airline wow i guess a little thing um war's wife mrs zimmerman um when the report finally came out she was just so relieved that it wasn't pilot error oh my god yeah like i saw like an interview with her and for her it was just like that and i i don't know i think about that piece of this thing right like ah because it was not it was not no no and it's such i i bet there's a lot of like conflicting feelings with that relief too of like hmm you know, yeah. Thank God it wasn't pilot error, but I don't know. It's still it's, it doesn't it. yeah it doesn't undo anything. It still stings. It's still there's trauma. It's still you know. Jeez! Wow. Yeah. Well, it was a huge, huge effort. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, what I, actually what I was thinking um, when you were talking about putting all of the pieces together is mm. um, your mother-in-law would be very good at that job. 
to put all. yeah to put those different pieces together yeah. and it's oh, yeah. like a very particular all over it. yeah like a very particular skill set for sure to be able to have the patience to sit there and like you know just i don't know painstakingly put all of those pieces back together and just yeah yeah i don't know after such yeah. like a horrific thing just knowing what you were putting together you know right obviously is much different than like a tabletop puzzle but yeah no but that is i mean again when you think about like people's what they like and what they're good at the yeah. anything that like falls into that venn diagram like the things that they're those skills matter yeah exactly exactly and yeah like that this would not be i would not be good at the <laughs> putting the plane back together yeah not at all i wonder like but, i wonder if you yeah. have to have because like who who does it the ntsb essentially is the like the people yeah. who pay for yeah. that like the employees to do that yeah, I mean this the this whole entire thing cost I think fifty seven million dollars. Yeah, I don't know if that's Canadian dollars, but I uh, yeah it is Canadian dollars. Okay, so, so fifty seven dollars American in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, yeah, twelve dollars <laughs> in today's money. No, yeah. like the um yeah like no it's it's expensive it's a big thing and yeah. it took like obviously i don't always totally know how they measure things like that mm. maybe somebody out there can tell us like how they determine how much something like this costs because like the ntsb they're not like like they're on the payroll year round right right you know right. like they work there and same with like all of the the like joint forces of the military who like obviously these are very massive efforts that are expensive but the again if you you're in the boats are there like the ships are there i i just don't know and it, it's a sincere right. thing i don't know how like are those costs what it costs above what it costs to have all of those people like in their offices or mm. are is there like normal salary included in that i just yeah. don't and I, I don't know right i don't know right i mean it's a yeah it's a huge huge effort and i just i like wonder i don't know like you obviously have to have some sort of plain experience or plain knowledge to be able to put it back together but i just wonder i guess yeah. it's like interesting to me like i think never... it's the the tsb the canadian ntsb right so the right right tsb yeah. and then probably the i imagine the faa and or ntsb yeah and those like um, those bodies so like people who are working there are already into planes like yeah, you that's, know they already know that's planes. the ntsb <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 that that part of it would be the specific like whatever the group in that country is that yeah investigates plane crashes because they're the ones who are going to have the knowledge uh, i couldn't look at like i also maybe my brain is i don't have like that thing that like sherlock holmesy thing mm. you know mm -hmm. um but so even just stuff like if you have the engines and you look at 
the engine blades. Yeah. And if they're like bent, then it means that the engine was probably on when it impacted. And if they look pretty good, then they're probably off when it impacted. That to me is just like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> what, what a genius observation. Right. And that's, you know, probably like the most basic yeah. possible observation <laughs> for people who do this, you know, who can like look at something and know that it, you have to know what it's supposed to look like. You have to know that it doesn't look the what a, the difference is between a f, you know fire and an explosion yeah. or like yeah it takes like you have to have so much base knowledge right in order to be competent at that job yeah yeah wow holy cow oh that's that's Swiss Air one eleven yeah. And this is, I mean, this is like a really famous one, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Our boy Dave in Canada, um, and I talked about this some, and um, actually a long time ago, now, what, maybe only a couple months into doing this show, mm -hmm. I um, talked to one of the... TSB agents oh, right. who worked on this. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but maybe I'll save that conversation because we were talking about a different, okay. a different yeah. light. That's fair. But, but I did, um, I mean, part, he obviously is part of the reason why we know what happened. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for telling all of that. That's a tough one. Thank you. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to it's it's hard to think about. Yeah. If you look for if if you look for images or like documentaries or anything about this, um, that were made by CBC, which is like Canadian BBC, I guess. Um <laughs> Right. That's I, I think I don't that's, know. I just know we got it all growing up. Like we would always oh, watch yeah. it. Yeah. Definitely. Maybe it's like There's PBS, like, I think. Canadian broadcasting okay, yeah. channel or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But is it yeah. Well, whatever whether it's like PB I feel like yeah. it's amazing because PBS and BBC are like incredibly different despite being right. <laughs> like News. in theory the same thing yeah, yeah right but um the cbc documentaries um how oh so who is it that hates how i say that word some of you have mentioned <laughs> that you don't like how i say so document documentary documentary is say is that documentary documentary <laughs> is that the right way yeah. anyway yeah um I don't know. but they they have like some graphic imagery just to be blunt like they have some yeah like beware before you, you look at it yeah yeah, no warning, CBC. Just Canadians like Canadians. to rip off the band-aids. I guess so, Lord. But yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, it is funny, like to see the difference in like what's acceptable to yeah. be on television. Yeah, yeah. it. it <laughs> in different countries yeah it can be really <laughs> it can be really weird yeah like the differences but i don't know yeah yeah 
<sighs> I know that you had a good fact today. I do have a good fact today. Yeah, and this is a fact. I'll put a for... timestamp. Yes, I'll put a timestamp here for anyone who just wants the fact perfect. and to not to spare them, themselves <laughs> the rest of it. Yeah, perfect. Um, you know, I was just scrolling through so social media as one does. And mm-hmm. this little meme popped up and usually the memes or like this, you know, like a phrase or saying or something. If it's like facty, it's usually 50 percent true. There's always like something wrong mm-hmm. in that thing, even if it's like whatever. Mm-hmm. So one of these pops up and I'm like, no, that's surely this isn't the case. Turns out it is true. And you and I have discussed this. You you do know this is true. Um, but for our listeners who did not know this is true, did you know that paprika is just crushed pepper? It's ground pepper. And in the U.S., um, typically the paprika that you find is actually just red bell pepper, just like a normal ass red pepper. Literally pep- like a pepper. Like a pepper. Like not, like a, not a peppercorn. No, like a pepper, like just a pepper. A pepper. Like the juicy yep. peppers. Yep are just yeah. getting ground to shit and they turn into paprika and that's what you use. Like being being a child of a certified chef who graduated from the Culinary Institute of America. The fact that I did not know that mm. paprika was pepper. <laughs> I thought it was garnish. I dead ass thought it was garnish. And I was like, "Oh, there's a lot of like recipes that just call for paprika." It it just never occurred to me. Never. I use it all the this, time. I use it all the time. For what? You, I don't know. So, to make it red? Like, what are we doing here? But it's necessary. Oh. Oh, I did not know. I had no that idea. It, does, it doesn't add, the flavor is not delicious to you of paprika? I've, I have never tasted paprika in my life. I could not tell you what paprika tastes like. I have tasted it, and I, somewhere in Something my brain. Something is horribly wrong yeah. with the paprika you've been exposed to. M- there must horribly be. Wrong. It must be. The nation of Hungary Yes, they are upset. Weeps. They want me I, to come. Okay, so, <laughs> so like, b- 10 minutes before we were supposed to record, I couldn't find my <laughs> mic, because that's just how it is. Yeah. And Mariah and I were talking on the phone, <laughs> and you asked me, like, yeah. um, yeah. do you know what paprika is? And I was like, pepper? Because, and I told you this already, yeah, so I'm repeating, please. but for the, for the sake of our dear listeners, um, the, I found that out because my husband and I were in Hungary and ha- paprika is just Hungarian for pepper. Yeah. I don't know this. I just, right. I know there's paprika in everything. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> but I, we were in the, uh, like in a grocery store and the little sign says paprika and it's a basket of peppers yeah and it like it like blew my mind open like just like oh my gosh yeah yeah <laughs> paprika, paprika is peppers. peppers of course it is yeah of and course listen i said this already to you mariah but i don't think we have any hungarian listeners i don't think so. uh, what a tragedy but if we do or if any of you have access to this listen to me <laughs> there is nothing on earth that i want more than a a packet of like Hungarian paprika seeds, yeah. right? Like seeds of those. And this, maybe it's a crime to send seeds. I don't know. But if you would mail them to me, I would love it more than anything. Yeah. Like Hungarian paprika seeds, A. But B, 
in Hungary, they had like paste, like toothpaste tubes of paprika paste. Oh. 10 out of 10. Really? 11 out of 10. The most delicious stuff and ever. we don't sell paprika paste here. I've never seen okay. it. Okay. But I want that. It's like, and because Hungarian food, all the good foods of the world are orange. This yeah. is like an important thing. Yeah. Good food of the universe is red or orange. Yeah. And all Hungarian <laughs> food, I'm so hungry and I want to Same. eat like lecho. Like all these delicious Hungarian foods yes. are like coming to my mind with the nice orange food. Yeah. But like Korean food, yep. red, orange. Yep. Hungarian food, red, oh, orange. Kimchi. I just had kimchi last night. Yes. Yeah. Oh, delicious. Oh, so uh, good. The best, the Indian foods, my favorite Indian foods, red, orange. Yes. Sushi, if it's fish. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like foods people eat. Pizza, that's yep. mostly red, Pasta. And orange. Sauce. Pasta. Pasta is not Pasta. orange. <laughs> Pasta sauce. Yeah. 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 Delicious. All of it. So yeah, yeah, should be orange. Yeah, well, if you know, paprika is made of peppers. But there is, yeah. isn't there? There is like a, is there a specific? Okay, so when I was looking it up, I know that. Um, actually, let me pull this up. Yeah, in Hungary, the peppers were different, and they were yeah. delicious, right, well, like wonderful like, peppers. Was not finishing sentences there. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, did I guess correctly? Yes, you did. One hundred percent. Sorry. <laughs> um okay, here it is. Um sorry, I just think I just used my um so this is according to the McCormick website, okay? The their mm. history of paprika. Mm. Because oh, who would it. know more, right? About <laughs> it's literally the, the website is McCormick McCormick Science Institute dot com. So I just feel mm-hmm. like it's it's got to be it's got to be real. Um, so early Spanish explorers took red pepper seeds back to Europe, um, and as they continued to grow, apparently the taste began to change, and it became sweet paprika. Um, and wait, 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 wait. wait. It, Sorry. Yes. When Spanish explorers brought peppers back to europe took red pepper seeds back to europe did europe not have peppers i guess are are peppers a new world thing uh they must be my goodness me wait um let's see yeah holy cow according to mccormick i mean who knows well so um paprika blah, blah, blah blah sorry 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 it was introduced, so uh, paprika was introduced to Hungary by the Turks in 1569, apparently. And there are eight different varieties, ranging in color and pungency. Um, and there was a Hungarian chemist who actually won uh, a Nobel Prize for research mm. on paprika. Um, mm. Because it found that paprika actually has higher content of, vit- of vitamin C than mm. citrus fruits delicious yep. there's actually like the the matcha i listen they got the yeah they got the science like lot like lots of good science coming out of hungary yeah yeah no for real and yeah oh Aww. sweet hungarians sweet hungarians 
Have I ever mentioned, does anyone even know why I'm saying this? Do you guys know my husband is <laughs> Does anyone know? Has that is that context here that my my I was literally uh, thinking like I wonder if did we say that? Did we Have we have ever, we said, ever this? said that? Yeah. If you knew that that uh my father-in-law is oh. is is an immigrant from Hungary. If you knew that tell us, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but let us know. I don't know. I'm getting real hungry. Yeah, this conversation too. is breaking my brain. Yep. Okay. Then team one, two, three, Break. eat. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, I love Mariah. You. I love you so Going much. Some paprika. Thank you for going on this. Thank you for this journey. Yes. Coming along. Always. We love all of you. If you are hungry, if you have to eat, if you haven't taken your medicine today, if, if you need a nap, yep. if you need to take a shower, mm-hmm. if you need to do laundry, whatever you got to do, exhale. <sighs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it together. Nom, nom, nom. Or rest. If you you need to rest, too. Rest. Throw rest rest. in there. Play some video games. has to be on the list. Watch a movie. Oh, yes. Relax. Play video games and watch a movie at the same same time. time. Do both. Yeah. There's some... Do do something wonderful for yourself, but the basics, food, water, sleep, medicine. Yeah. Do the basics. Make sure those are covered. Yep. And, uh... Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Perfect. Love you. Love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Pod Crashed. We so hope you enjoyed it. Um, little thing this week. There was about a four-minute section that I went back and edited out where we um, talked about um, the single RCMP investigator who wanted to investigate this as a crime. Um, I didn't like the way I covered it, but I also really don't want to insinuate that this could have been a crime or that this might have been a crime. There's, in my opinion, no reason to think it was a crime. Uh, no reason to think that there was it was anything besides an arcing wire. So if you are interested in reading more about that, you are welcome to, um, by all means. But uh, I didn't like the way I covered it, so I edited it out. So um, if you want to get in touch with us for that or any other reason, uh, you can find us at... Uh, you can email us at thepodcrashed at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram and TikTok. We love you, and uh, we'll see you next week.